Welcome back to Farmer's Jam Radio. I'm your host, James Carr. Thank you for joining us once again. Today, I am speaking with Henry Gordon Smith. He is the founder and CEO of Agritecture, which is a global consulting firm focused on the art, science, and business of integrating agriculture into the built environment. Long story short, they are talking about controlled environment agriculture. Henry recently wrote an op-ed called Vertical Farming is Heading for the Trough of Disillusionment. Here's why that's a good thing. So we're very grateful that he joined us to discuss uh, this article. We talked about greenwashing. We talked about sustainability. We talked about agriculture in general. A really insightful conversation. Uh, Very grateful for Henry for joining us. As you'll hear, he's extremely busy, so we really, really appreciate his time. If you want to stay in the loop with ag news every week, head to our website, www.thefarmersjam.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We send four or five articles out every week, sometimes more, uh, where you can read uh, all of the news that we will discuss on these podcasts. For now, here's our interview with Henry, and I'll catch you on the other side. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm now chatting with Henry Gordon Smith, CEO and founder of Agritecture, recently wrote an article about the uh, CEA, Controlled Environment Agriculture, going through the trough of disillusionment. Uh, But he notes that that is a good thing, so we're going to find out why. But please now welcome Henry to the show. Henry, what's going on? Hey, James, how's it going? I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm enjoying some of the sunshine in Southern California today. Hope you're doing well too. Oh yes, yeah. sunshine. That's good. That's a, a change for you. Then uh, you, are you usually based in New York City? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, typically I'm in New York. That's where I uh, founded the company. I moved to New York with big dreams of being an urban farmer. But actually, for the last two years, because of how global um, our work has gotten, I've been a nomad. So for the last two mm-hmm. years, I haven't had an apartment. I travel around. But last year, I lived in ten countries in twelve months. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is a lot of traveling. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, for people familiar with Farmer's Jam, we uh, we focus more on the soil, I think is, is fair to say. But uh, I'm very intrigued by um, controlled environment agriculture. You and I have had the chance to work together on the uh, Aglanta conference. So um, just briefly, I'm wondering, can you just describe a little bit about what CEA is? what agritecture's role in that space is, and then, um, you know, kind of just touch a little bit on the work you were doing with the Aglanta conference. Okay, big first question. Let's dive in here. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about, first, let's just like sort of frame our thinking a little bit. Um, I okay. firmly believe, and my team believes that there's no one size fits all when it comes to agriculture. And so when we think about sort of agriculture, you could have a spectrum from low tech to high tech. Okay, just sort of imagine that spectrum. On one side is the most simple soil-based farm, you know, irrigated by rain, very little technology. And on the high end are these crazy big roboticized vertical farms. And in between is everything else, greenhouses, you know, um, high tunnels, all kinds of different things. Okay, just imagine that. And so our, our philosophy sort of builds around that is that we think that, you know, there's potential for all of these and you need to match the, the models for agriculture to the right context. 
Okay, mm-hmm. that's really the, our philosophy. So let's think about that a little bit more. Let's imagine plants, right? I think a lot of non-farmers think about plants that are growing outdoors, and they're like, oh, they're outdoors. Like, they're 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 so happy, right? They're getting sunlight, they're getting rain, they've got they're in paradise. But in fact, um, I think as we know, there's a lot of challenges that plants face outdoors to perform their best, whether it's pests or whether it's uh, increment weather or whether it's a lack of water. All these issues are real that outdoor agriculture has to deal with. So then comes in controlled environment agriculture, CEA, and it says, you know what? Why don't we create some control to help the plant be its best? Let's put it in a house, a greenhouse. Let's put it in, um, let's give it the light it needs. Let's actually remove the soil that has variable levels of nutrients and contamination, and let's actually just deliver water directly to its roots through hydroponic methods. And all of those things are sort of part of the philosophy of what controlled environment agriculture is about, and that lives on the sort of right end of that spectrum, that high-tech spectrum. Now, as any farmer knows, right, control isn't for free, right? The sun is free. Sometimes in some places water is free. But you have to pay for every single piece of control when it comes to control of our agriculture. So it's even more important that you think about who's going to buy your product and are they willing to pay more for it? Or is there an economic case to use less land, to use less water, to use maybe more energy to deliver a consistent product year-round? And that's the main benefit of CEA is consistency. It's, it's the, the kind of agriculture that can deliver consistent yields year-round, can give you multiple cycles of production, can allow you to grow certain crops faster. We can talk about some of the pros and cons of CEA later, but that's sort of the intro to what this is. And vertical farming is sort of this, like, really exciting, hyped-up, high-tech method of CEA that's getting a lot of money and a lot of attention right now. So if we go to Atlanta, since you asked me a big first question, Atlanta represents um, a lot of what agriculture is about. The city of Atlanta had a new director of urban agriculture, and they sort of came to us and they said, look, we really want to encourage this new trend of urban agriculture, but we want to make sure that it's good for um, all of the people in our city. And what does that mean? Well, 25% of people in Atlanta live in food deserts. So just building vertical farms that grow premium produce for them, you know, salad mixes, is that the solution? Probably not the solution alone, right? There's probably needs to be a multi-pronged solution. So then we step back and we look at that spectrum again and we say, okay, well, what does the city of Atlanta have? Well, it has vacant lots in a lot of parts of Atlanta where the people are existing in the USDA-named food deserts. And so, you know, maybe we can encourage them to use these lots in a smart way. And Mario Cambardella, the director of Urban Ag, and us, we got to work on some of these programs and how do we bring the community together through a sort of galvanizing brand, which is Aglanta. And so we did an annual event, and we had a lot of commitments in the event to diversity on stage, diversity in attendance. Um, This was not just your typical, you know, urban ag event where there's a lot of high-tech vertical farmers there and a lot of discussion on finance. We covered aspects of food access and equity and education, and then we juxtaposed that with discussions on technology, automation, AI, so that we're sharing that knowledge together and embracing some of the sort of nuance that exists and, and the importance of context. So there's a lot of other things we did with Atlanta, but that's sort of the short answer to your very long question. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, you knocked it out of the park. You, you know, great job. I appreciate you going all the way in. But I, I really, um, I wanted to start there because, like, to what you said at the beginning, there really is a huge range when it comes to what controlled environment agriculture is. But, but agriculture in general, and I, there are, you know, specific solutions for specific problems. And I think that we have gotten into a habit. Of, of looking for like silver bullet type of solutions oh, yeah. um, and saying, well, this is the answer and this is the one and this is how the future, as it were. But um, I think it is really a much more of a mixed bag. It's much more diverse. It, it is, um, you know, site specific. It's person specific. It's skill specific. It's resource specific. It's it's all of that. So um, thank you for for diving for diving in. Um to kind of just give a bit of a range uh, for 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 how much CEA has grown, um, just a few years ago, maybe a little less than ten years ago, there was a company in Atlanta called Podponics was trying to do hydroponics out of shipping containers. Yeah, you probably know their story quite well. Um, they tried to be based in Georgia. They couldn't get the economics right. I believe that they tried to do a very large scale project somewhere in maybe Dubai or something like that. But long and short of it is that that they. They couldn't find a workable model. Uh, now, in your article recently, you wrote about the trough of disillusionment. Now, we've come a long way since Podponics. There's a, there's several operations that are growing, that are producing food, that are receiving investment, you know, doing a lot of the things that Podponics hope to do. But I, you wrote more about like maybe we're hitting that that tip of that curve again on the other end, which is that there's been so much investment, so many different ideas. Uh, so many things promised that at some point, you know, the pin has to drop. It's not all going to work out. It's not all going to be, you know, environmentally and financially sustainable. So can you, would you, would you sort of agree with that very rough assessment? Um, and, uh, you know, talk maybe a bit more about where we are right now and, and why you think that we're headed for a period of uh, divestment and disillusionment. Yeah, I definitely agree with your your assessment there. I've got a couple things I'll add. I mean, one of the biggest concerns that led me to write the article was I keep meeting people that are starting vertical farms that don't even know about podponics or farm tier mm-hmm. or local garden. Um, they don't know about the history of vertical farming, even though it's so short. And when I see people and when I see investors that don't know and I see entrepreneurs that don't know, and they are repeating the same mistakes of the past, and they're packaging it in this sort of greenwashed, hyped-up idea of you know, saving humanity through vertical farming. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but some of their marketing is even more hyperbole than what I'm using. Yeah. And I, I just saw, instead of a maturation of the discussion, I've seen um, in behind closed doors a maturation of the discussion, but on the public to the, to the outside, journalists, news articles, events, I've seen it just continue. The momentum of, of hype has continued. And so, you know, that's concerning to me. I think we have to look and be honest, look at the past and what didn't work and be honest. And Podponics, you know, these are like 200 shipping containers built in Atlanta, big market, huge potential for that to work. You know, we interviewed Podponics and Local Garden and Farm Cheer at Atlanta. There's a video that's available online where you can see how they describe what went wrong, not even me. Like mm. it couldn't be it couldn't be more unbiased as far as where this messaging is coming from because I'm just trying to show people, look, you have to do your due diligence, whether you're an investor or an entrepreneur, 
because how are you going to innovate if you just repeat the, the mistakes of the past? And and then so that, that's really, you know, that combined with the greenwashing really put me over the edge. Um, and it was a real thing that happened, you know, as I start the article, I got, I, I work in, uh, I'm a consultant, right? So I do due diligence for investments in the sector. And I, I've seen, um, I've seen how the fear of missing out drives so much of what these investors choose to do. So it's even more susceptible to that hype when vertical farmers are claiming things that are not true, that basically they can still get funded because of the sort of essentially the, the greed and the Silicon Valley attitude about, I just need one to work. But these are farms, you know, these are, these are not factories, right? They produce food. It's still agriculture, so there's still a journey for these farms to figure it out and to learn that's slower than a lot of the other investments in Silicon Valley. And so I think I really wanted to encourage especially the investors uh, and especially those companies that are emerging, right? They're not necessarily fully funded yet to say, we can do better. Let's ask tougher questions. Let's embrace the fact that there is no one-size-fits-all. Let's stop talking about silver bullets and let's reduce the greenwashing and start to get real about this. Unfortunately, as as my take sort of shows, is that I, I think in some ways there's some signals that we have we're, we're going to have a, a period of correction. But I'm okay with that. I think it's something that will help the industry mature. And and look, agriculture has a lot of challenges that are going to get worse in the future. And vertical farming isn't going anywhere. I'm still long on vertical farming. I just want to be more honest about what that trajectory looks like. Right. And I think you mentioned this in the article, too, about the sort of pace of revenue for some of these investments. A lot of you know, big time investors are looking for what they're calling a hockey stick investment, something that mm-hmm. is going to grow a little slowly and all of a sudden, boom, take off. It, it just makes a ton of money. I don't, there's not a farm in history that's been a, right. a hockey stick investment, let alone exactly. the, the indoor. So um, the pace of revenue is different. It's, it is using technology, but it's not like you're really investing in a technology company. It's still based in agriculture. So I thought that was a, a really salient point. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm curious about uh, any feedback you might have received, you know, either from people who are vertical farmers or on the investment side about, you know, your perspective. Because you, you know, for someone who's in the industry as a consultant, you were you were very, um, I guess, (laughs) frank about where where things are at, and that's not always what consultants do. Um, I think that there was some surprise and, you know, I think I had a little bit of nerves, um, before publishing it because I thought, you know, yeah, is this going to hurt my business in the long term? But I'm a mission driven entrepreneur when it comes down to it and I follow what I, what I feel is going to be best for the mission. And I'm not, I'm not known for sort of like, yeah, I'm, I, I've been here 10 years now, right? Like, I, I've, I've been in the sector for a long time, so I'm not going anywhere. So I said, well, if, you know, if I can't put my reputation on the line to be honest, then who am I? Am I really whatever? People call me a thought leader, but am I really that if I'm not leading in any way? And I wanted to lead. I really did. I really am sick of it. I'm sick of the greenwashing. I've talked to these companies directly. I've told them to their face. I've commented on their posts. And now it came to the next level where I had to say, okay, what's a mature way to express my concerns and to also help the industry grow? And that's where the Gartner hype cycle provided this framework. 
you know, it provided sort of an objective framework that I could look at and say, this isn't just me saying this. This is actually something that's quite normal for new technologies. It's not exclusive mm-hmm. to vertical farming, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. So what was the reaction? I mean, I overwhelmingly got positive reactions, to be frank. I haven't gotten any hate mail yet. Um, and I got reactions from some people that surprised me. I got reactions from previous investor clients of mine that I've, you know, have chosen to invest in vertical farming companies. Obviously, I'm, I'm proud that they did that because I, I guided them. And again, I'm not anti-vertical farming by any means. And, you know, they wrote to me. They said it was spot on. I had other companies who sent me slides from their internal presentations who were like, hey, we have the same thing on our deck. You know, and they were like, wow, someone else is looking at the Gartner Hype Cycle as a guide. And I thought that was really cool. I had um, employees at some of the companies I mentioned that wrote to me and said, you know, this is absolutely correct. Like, somebody need to say this. Um, I had, yeah, conventional farmers uh, who are looking at CEA with confusion write to me and, and organizations that lead them. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that this helped people think about this and, and feel like they're not crazy, right? Because when you see the investments, you're like, am I crazy? Are my numbers wrong? What's going on here? Yeah. You know, and so I think the article resonated with a lot of people who were like thinking this and someone finally said it. Um, so I got a lot of positive reactions, even from, you know, people on LinkedIn reposted it um, who are heavily invested into CEA and even some of the companies I mentioned, and I respect them for doing that um, because it means that they also are willing to embrace a more complex discussion. Um, and so I think it's a really exciting moment. And a lot of what I talk about, what's the good thing, what's coming next, is that if we can have a more honest discussion collectively, right, I'm one person, but if you can and I can and your audience can, and we can start to talk about this more, we can actually solve some of these problems of vertical farming, right? We can actually start to improve upon vertical farming and find its fit, uh, however, however limited it might be, but it could have a fundamental um, fit in a segment of agriculture that we can actually find that as opposed to, you know, pretending. So, you know, I think that, I think that's, that's the goal. And I was happy to hear it was the top guest blog post of uh, 2021 for AgFunder, which is great. Oh, that is great. You snuck right in there just towards the end of the year, huh? Yeah. You know, just, uh, just <laughs> you know, Louisa Byrne with Taylor, we were talking and I sort of mentioned some of my frustrations and, um, you know, that, that some of my investor leads had bailed out because of the, the Aeropharm stack and, and, and the app harvest stock, you know, collapse or, or decline. So I think that, you know, I, I've lost business because of this hype too myself, right? So mm. I think, I think it was important to share that story to say this is, this actually does damage, uh, in other ways. And just to remind everyone listening, um, you know the 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 we're we are kind of scratching the surface of this article it was it was it's very detailed there's there's graphs there's a lot of examples so if you're if you're sort of if we if we might be talking a bit too fast or if there's some names you want to double check on definitely go check uh, that article out it was posted on Ag Funder as Henry just mentioned um, so. You have mentioned greenwashing a handful of times now, and I'm kind of uh, wondering if you can just just provide a couple of high level of examples of like what are maybe some of the more egregious claims that you've seen recently. Yeah, so just to be clear, you know, um, greenwashing is a pretty uh, it ranges in, in how you know egregious it could be. 
Um, you know, it, it can range from a company, and just generally speaking, not from this sector, at right? a company who says, oh, we have this new product that's, you know, net zero carbon, but they're still producing single waste plastic, and they're just, most of their impact is negative, and they sort of have this one marketed positive impact. So most greenwashing that I find is about picking and choosing what's good about what we're doing and what's bad about what we're doing and hiding the bad things and sort of packaging it in this sort of like good greenwashed image. So um, I don't want to name too many names, but sure, no. there, there, there was a company that had launched um, on a new social media platform and, you know, there was this young um, employee who was like, and this is this is sustainable agriculture. And it was like sort of a green screen with a vertical farm in the background. And it just made my skin crawl because when I think about all the people that see that and, and the misconceptions that already exist about agriculture, the damage that labeling vertical farming as sustainable or even it's very difficult to label anything as sustainable, right? That, that in general is pretty close to greenwashing because sustainability is a process. It's not a single destination. You can get certified for certain aspects of sustainability. You can say, we're certified X. But to say you're sustainable really means that you've solved all of the problems related to sustainability, which is pretty much not possible because the context of sustainability is constantly changing as we have different challenges and different um, effects on the environment that we're even learning about. So I thought it was cheap marketing, and I thought it was unhelpful. Um, another example is a sustainability page on a, another company that said, you know, we reduce the carbon footprint by bringing the farm closer to the customer. Okay, that's true, right? If you reduce food miles, you reduce carbon footprint. You reduce the waste and the GHG emissions that come from that waste. Um, there's other benefits, water, et cetera, we can talk about, but let's just talk about the food miles. That's true. Okay, so I'm looking through the sustainability page. Well, what about your energy, right? Your, your, your entire farm is powered by artificial lights and you use climate control to maintain, again, that perfect environment for the plant. So where does that energy come from? Are you, are you buying renewable energy or is it coming from coal? Because if it's coming from a non-renewable source, you cannot in any way say you're reducing the carbon footprint of your production. In fact, the product coming out of your vertical farm could be five to 15 times more carbon intensive, even after that food mile reduction, than a field-grown crop in California, Arizona. And, you know, if you calculate those numbers, you start to see it. And I had a large beverage company that asked me, hired us to do exactly that analysis. So I've, I've seen the numbers myself, and I know the big vertical farming companies, I know they have their numbers as well. So to omit something, right, to say we're reducing carbon but not talk about how you're increasing carbon is greenwashing. Right. Yeah. These are, these, and then to, another common one is just water use. Water use is definitely less than vertical farming, no doubt. Right. It's indoors. It's hydroponic. It's I would say with confidence, the academic data suggests that it could be 70 percent less water. Many companies are claiming 99 percent, 95 percent. OK, but they're not providing the evidence of that water reduction. That is also greenwashing. Right. These are these are these are the issues. And it's not exclusive to our industry. But it's, no, I yeah. feel a responsibility as someone who studies sustainability management, who is trying to improve and, and help society adapt to climate change to call these things out. So a bit of a long answer there, but those are a couple of examples for you. Yeah, no, I, but I think that, that that's great. And I, you know, we, we kind of see this all the time. And I have questions, for example, like, you know, it's like buying a new electric car. 
right, that you're then plugging into your house. It's like, well, you are saving emissions right where you're at. But first of all, the car had to be built with, you know, uh, materials from all over the world, most likely. Um, and, and, and then, of course, you're just exporting your waste to somewhere near a, a plant. So I, I definitely think we have to, to dive a little bit deeper on a lot of claims that are being made today, just in, in any industry that's claiming sustainability. I agree. Um, I agree. It's a, it's a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of end on a, a bit of a better note. Um, so I'm curious, maybe the flip side of that conversation would be, what are some of the, uh, I guess, in CEA done correctly? So what are some of the, the common traits of companies who are who are doing it right, who, who aren't exaggerating their claims? Um, you know, what are some of the like core fundamentals that, you know, are, 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 are building the base layer for the future of CEA right now? Well, there are numerous real benefits to CEA. Um, and some of those include the ability, as I mentioned, to grow year round and to be able to eliminate the need for spraying pesticides on the product. And consumers want that. And that is a sustainability benefit. The water use benefit is legitimate. And, you know, I do a lot of business in the Middle East and that makes a big difference. Right. They really don't have any water to spare. Um, so there's certain markets where, you know, the, 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 the benefits of CEA, both economic and sustainability, can be more advanced. Right. They, the impact can be even bigger. So from my perspective, it's really about the companies that are embracing the complexity of this. And they're saying, OK, we need to look at these markets and really think about what's the best fit here, a greenhouse or a vertical farm an automated one or a less automated one, more high-tech, low-tech, right, who embrace design and architecture as part of their process to make more responsible decisions. And so I think that, you know, there's there's some companies that are uh, 100% renewable power. I mentioned them really at the end of the article. I mentioned a few companies that I think are doing a good job. So I, I invite people to read the article. They're, they're hyperlinked. They can look at them. But just a couple. One is Small Hold, which, full disclosure, is a company I advise and they've chosen to do vertical farming with mushrooms. And the economics and some of the sustainability impacts of what they're doing are great, and they are still solving similar problems that vertical farming solved. Another one is Dream Harvest, an ex-client of mine that is 100% renewable powered from the beginning, right? They made that commitment. They said, look, this is harder, this is more expensive, but we're going to do it because we understand that we're not, we don't want to be worse. You know, we understand we're not perfect, but we want to get better. And I think you know, buying renewable power is, is kind of the minimum um, so that you could do. So there's a couple of companies in there that I, I definitely recommend people look at. All right. Well, uh, Henry, I really appreciate your time. Um, as we mentioned a couple of times, be sure to go check out the, uh, the full article. Um, you can find more about Agritecture at agritecture.com. Um, Henry, uh, keep up the great work. Uh, we've appreciated your contributions, you know, here in Atlanta and, and certainly beyond. And uh, yeah, best of luck this upcoming year. Thank you so much for the time and appreciate the opportunity to answer your questions. And yeah, if anybody wants to reach out, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Thanks so much, everyone. All right, everybody. Thank you once again for joining us. Farmers Jam Radio was created by Longleaf Media. 
produced by myself and Cam Christian with music by Nomad. Want to give another thank you to Henry Gordon Smith of Agritecture for joining us. You can check out more about Agritecture at www.agritecture.com. If you enjoyed this show, please do us a favor and rate us five stars. Leave us a comment. We are a new show, new podcast, and all of these ratings that you can do really, really help us out a lot. And of course, if you want to get plugged into the whole world of Farmer's Jam, head over to our website, www.thefarmersjam.com, and we'll get you plugged in. We appreciate your time. Y'all stay safe out there and jam on.